This is a moment in wine and hip hop presented to you by Jermaine Stone, aka the Wolf of Wine. Wine and hip hop, wine and music. Tell me about it. Check this out. Oh, yeah. You'll be the life of the party. Wine and hip hop really mirrors the, the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your man, Jermaine Showtime Stone, a.k.a. The Wolf of Wine, a.k.a. The Zara Vibes. I got my man, Lyle motherfucking Fast, right here. Yeah. Let me tell y'all about Lyle Fast real quick, man. Before, before he even jumps on, this is a special show because wine and hip-hop was discovered with this man right here. Okay. When I was a young buck, I'm going to say it was about nine years ago, I was in a wine shop at Grapes the Wine Company. Shout out to my man Daniel Posner. I see you. And Sadat X was just getting into the true wine kind of sort of thing. This was actually before he had a wine label out. Yep. And he gave the ratings. And Daniel Posner hosted him. He did an episode there. Y'all can look that shit up. It's dope. And Lyle and I were at that tasting. And that was where I met this dude. At that time, I was still working in a warehouse. I was on my way up. Lyle was also on his way up. Where were you at that time, Lyle? I was doing emails for grapes. And I came to the store. The only time I ever came to the store was for Sonodex. Right. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Lyle was on his come up. And, and you'll hear more about where he is now. But we were both at the early stages of our career. And, like, you know, he was just a cool dude. I, I, I didn't know anybody at that tasting. Was a cool dude walking around. And we were just bugging out at the fact that they was playing rap music. And we were drinking wine at the same time. We were like, yo, this is fucking unheard of. Things were very, very different then. You know, I started chopping up with Lyle. We connected and we stayed in contact ever since. So... Loud it's fat. great to be here. I'm really uh, happy to do this podcast and talk about wine and hip-hop, which are two passions of mine. I mean, yep. hip-hop came before wine, way before wine. There, There is no question about it. In high school, I was kind of like listening to you know a couple things that were popular. Scenario, Tribe Called Quest, Three Feet High and Rising, De La Soul. You know, I, m- I remember seeing the Scenario video on MTV and mm. I was like, yeah, this is unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this. It's great. I couldn't watch it over and over again because this was, you know, back in the day, right. and there was no YouTube, there was no internet, there was no it. iPhones. There, yeah. there, you couldn't record live television. Yeah. That that sounds crazy to me. It sounds it's so bizarre. Yep. And all wow. I wanted to do was see it over and over again. You know, there were a couple kids in my class that were into it. You know, most everyone else was like super rock and roll. But then college happened, and that is when like my hip hop awakening truly happened because I ran with this crew who just knew everything and I gotta give a shout out to my man Nature Sounds Devin Horowitz Mm. who really was my hip hop mentor what did you get into at first do you remember like what was your hip hop aha moment the epiphany was 93 till infinity souls of mischief Mm. courtesy of Devin one night in his small dorm room you know after a night of doing things we shouldn't be doing in a dorm I'll mm. leave it at that and basically uh, you know uh, he was my mentor and he you know he put on 93 till infinity and he's just like you gotta listen to the song and it was 1994 I believe because it came out this is the, I gotta look back 
but it was actually when the song came out. You know, I mean, I went to college during, for me, my opinion, the greatest ever period of hip hop. It was just hit after hit after hit after hit every mm. week. Everything was dropping all the time. It what was, was it, insane. 90, 93, 93, 94, 95, yeah. 96 were my four years of college. And I hung out. That's a solid. <laughs> that's, that's strong. That's strong. Like, imagine being in college when Wu-Tang came out. What the fuck? The whole thing was unbelievable to me. It was, uh, before this, I was rock and roll, Grateful Dead, kind mm. of, my musical taste was improvisation. That's what I loved about the dead. That's my favorite thing, was the improvisation. I didn't really pay attention to the 4-4 or anything like that. You know, I loved Jerry's lyrics, of course, and all of that, but hearing this, and another very important aspect of my hip-hop awakening is I was not in New York City living under my parents' roof, and I was free. Mm. So where did you grow up? New York City. Okay, what Upper part? Upper East Side. Upper East Side. Yup, 89th and Madison. Mm, shout out to 89th and Mad! Yup. <laughs> so, you know, it was very neighborhoody, very bland, yeah. very kind of a boring part of uh, New York City. You know, I would go down to below 14th Street to do anything remotely interesting. So, what was that like? See, that, and that's why I asked where you grew up, because to me, I would have never thought that. To me, you come off like a Lower East Side dude. Well, that's where I hung out. Yeah, yeah. It's really really funny all right because you could hang out in new york city back then you know i started hanging out in new york city at 14 when i say hanging out you know you're going to bars you just it's it's it wasn't about the way you looked it was about the way you carried yourself you know new york's completely different now but yeah. you could just get away with a lot of things you know whatever it is what it is and i went to this one bar it's no longer there anymore called the knitting factory that was my bar now nah, maybe i was older you know maybe 89 90 but hip-hop, it changed everything. I was addicted from day one. I wanted to inject souls of mischief, you know, into my veins. And then that led me to Dell, you know, and that led me to the whole High Road crew. And then my friend Devin, you know, actually brought souls of mischief and hieroglyphics to Boston. He put mm. the whole show on himself and casual and pep love at this place called The Paradise. It was a crazy show. That's wow. It was amazing. And we were hanging out with these guys because Devin's my, you know, homie. And like, so you was rock hanging out with souls of mischief? And, and Dell. And, oh, it was a crazy night. I can't say anymore. Uh, <laughs> but it was an amazing experience to see that show that, you know, I remember the whole thing starting. And this club was like, it was like the hottest club where all the beautiful people went to like every other night. And we threw like, I didn't do anything, but I definitely gave out flyers. I mean, right, come on. Right. You know, this show at, you know, it sounds like the plot of like some like kind of like 90s movie, you know, but we threw the show at Paradise and they came and it was unbelievable. And Shit we was different after that. Yeah. <laughs> we, all right. <laughs> So after hip hop, you then got into wine. We just jumped straight into this shit because, because again, I needed to give this its proper introduction because this truly is where wine and hip hop was born. So mm. when I when I started putting this podcast together, I tell you no lies, you were the first person I thought about. And I was like, you know what? It'll be too corny if I just have Lyle on first. You know, like, I got to let that shit, I got to let it grow. I got to let it build. And I felt like we were at the right point. So this is literally the perfect time. Thank you again know, for um, not only just um, coming on the show, but hosting us. Of course, But man. also at the spot where if you follow Lyle on Instagram, you see sneakers and beauty shots of the city. I've been into one since I've been 20, 43 now. I got a job at a store. My stepmom kind of insisted when I was in college, you know, that I, I get a job. And I'm like, okay. And I got a job at a wine store. And just my natural curiosity took over. Mm. It was just an endless amount of information and cool stuff. 
and I couldn't buy wine legal at the at the store. I'm not saying the name of the store on purpose. Mm. So I could pay in cash, and they would let me take home cases of wine. You know, whatever. The drinking age is stupid. But um, anyway, but you know, I was 20. You know, it was 21. You know, what's going to happen in like one year? I'm going to have this like profound understanding of alcohol. No, <laughs> you know. But anyway, so they let me take wine. And the stuff I drank back in the day is embarrassing, but it's a path. You know, right. everyone goes on the same path, of and course. and it is very important to go on that path. If you start drinking the best. You're doomed. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm glad you said that, right? Yep. Because it's 100% true and I can speak to it from personal experience. When I started working in wine, I was 19 years old. And as you know, I started at a wine auction house. So by the time I was 21, I was in actually, I started in the warehouse at 19. By the time I was 21, I was working in the office. And I didn't give a shit about wine. But I understood the reverence of wine before I understood wine as a product. You know, they're fucking drinking Lafitte from the 70s and 80s. Like, that's how I learned about wine. From drinking blue chip Bordeaux and super rare fucking burgundies and rare Napa cabs. Like, Screaming Eagle, whenever there's a great collection that comes in, we just go run through some screamers. And that was how I learned about wine. It stunted my growth. And, like, I'm now... 14 years in and it stunted my growth i'd say by about like 10 years oh yeah because i had to go backwards and And that's the hardest way to learn you learn about the producers first yeah as opposed to the the landscape and what makes it into what it actually is that you're enjoying so Mm -hmm. That shit is stunning my growth, man. I'm glad somebody put that shit out there. Oh, yeah. It's 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 so important, and it's all about climbing that ladder. And also, like, I want to write a piece about this, you know. When people talk about wine, there's, like, another word that's in there that they talk about, but then no one ever focuses on. It's the appreciation part. And wine appreciation is a skill, and you have to treat it just like any other skill. And, and you know, if you're learning karate, for example, there's levels that you go up. You don't start at black belt. Right. Like, you got to go up into that level to be an authentic master and not only for your own enjoyment you know but just you know just to, for a greater understanding which is contributes to your own enjoyment is to understand which is really the most important thing you right. know if you think about wine it's all about hierarchy you know there's you got stuff at the bottom you got stuff at the top and stuff in the middle and it's all good and why is it all good you don't need to spend a million bucks which everyone thinks it's the biggest myth out there that needs to be demystified for sure so you in college you got the job yeah, and I, you you were talking about the store and I just tasted a lot of wines with like you know all my friends because they were drinking beer and mixed drinks and hard liquor and whatever uh, it was college and a little kind of that post-college purgatory people are leaving the city that you're in I was in Boston at the yeah. time and you know it's just a strange time uh, but I was really really getting into wine and then I left that store and then I worked in two more stores in Boston one store I opened up but the other store that I worked in was probably more in, they're both really important I ran this cheese counter in Boston mm. and it, I'm a particular way at the end of it I had like 120 cheeses really and, uh, right now this is you know this was back in 1996 seven or eight and I had this cheese counter it's called the mousetrap super cheesy name and, you know and it was so wait 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 can we talk about the, can we acknowledge the level of pun that was a fucking yo that might have been the best pun I've ever heard in my entire life yo he just said that he worked at a <laughs> he worked at he said he worked at a cheese shop 
with 120 different cheeses called the Mouse Trap, and it had a super cheesy name. <laughs> That was a triple entendre. You like Jay Z? I'm glad oh we. Oh, yeah. I'm glad we picked the song we did. But, you worked but that at the also gave trap. me the experience of having complete power over buying a lot of stuff and selling a lot of stuff and kind of creating a signature style. You know, which was turns out to be very important now. You know, 20 years later, in that there was a particular type of cheese that I liked. If this woman has like 10 cows in some fucking weird place in Switzerland and she makes 10 wheels a year I need two of those wheels <laughs> and that's the end of the story I don't care how much it costs this is someone else's money yeah so you bounce from the mouse trap to the wine bodega which is another store in the north end an Italian neighborhood and I helped open the store that was really important because it was an independent store made by one guy who picked all the wines versus the store I was at which was like more like a Zaki's where there's like departments and different people who are buying right. different things and there's you know not necessarily everyone in the show Shelf is believed in by the owner. This was a small store that did that, and this was before Chamber Street Wines, which I worked at as well. So it was really important, and everything was handpicked. We struggled. It was hard. It was owned by this guy who owned an Italian restaurant down the block. You, you have to understand the North End in Boston. Have you ever been to the North End? I haven't, no. It's one of the last authentic old-school Italian neighborhoods in America. Dude selling suits out of the back of trucks on the street and shit. <laughs> like, it is a serious, you know, neighborhood. And we came in there and, you know, we had some Italian wines, but we had German Riesling and we had, like, all these different things. And weird California Carignan, you know, just kind of, it was a, a wine, geeky, wine-centered focused store. Because so many people come in, oh, I want Chianti, I want Chianti, I want Chianti. And that was a, you know, huge thing. But eventually we converted the neighborhood. I worked for there for two or three years. I remember so many nights of just sitting there talking and doing nothing for hours on end, reading Jancis Robinson's Wine Encyclopedia from cover to cover. It was very educational about opening a business. Mm. And so those two things combined really set me on my path to where I am now, which was the power of buying and the experience of opening a business and seeing how that goes. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you touched on how this helped your, your entrepreneurial drive because you the plug now, man. Oh, yeah. You and Lulu and paid in full <laughs> with the fly apartment and everything. It's been quite uh, a journey. That. So for our listeners, what exactly do you do? The best way to describe what I do is before I did what I did, I always used to just tell people, just give me a license to buy wine and I'm set. Mm. So I got a license to buy wine, but it was a unique license. It was a license that came out of California, which allows me to buy direct from Europe and not really have a physical space. My partner basically has this weird sign in one of his windows um, to uh, <laughs> comply with California law in his house and then sell to consumers over the internet via email. So the only way that you can buy my wines, and we ship only twice a year, mm. and the shipping is definitely, because it's a complex process. So um, your, your clients really trust your palate. My clients trust me, but I only opened this company five years ago, and I built up the goodwill to be able to open this company for 15 years, and that was the key. So, you know, I you know paid my dues. I mean, it was a fun paying dues, drinking wine, going to dinners, and traveling, and all of that but there was always somebody above me I'll just leave it at that I wanted to be the man at the top because I thought that I could do it and I could do it really well and I could do it in a way that moved the conversation forward that was the most important thing the only way to do that 
did something money can't buy, which is a trust. And I had to build up the trust from wherever I went and keep my clientele and just keep a good presence online. I had one of the first wine blogs in 2006. You know, that just, is true. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah. build, build, build. I remember that rocks and fruit. Yep. I mean, yeah. rocks and fruit. Yeah. I started that in 2006 when yeah. I was like. You know, just that was on the card that you gave me. Yes, yeah, yeah. And Shit, the, man, that's there crazy. was and there was really no wine blogs back back then. And and basically, like I don't know, it was so important to do that. And also, my partner told me he was my friend back then. He's like friend every single person on Facebook who has any type of inclination about wine or anything. It doesn't matter. Just collect people. Mm. Best well, advice. It, it's, I'm I'm glad you touched on the the blog piece because I was talking to someone earlier. And I was saying, like, yo, I've been on this podcast and shit for a minute when when it was still, like, internet radio time, you yep, know? Yep. What was that? 360, Live 365, some mm-hmm. shit like that. You remember that? You remember Stogel, oh, right? Man. That time, that was around when, when we had met. Maybe I was doing this, like, a year or so before. But I've been recording shit like this since 04. Technically, I've been I didn't doing this. I know that was around back yeah. then. That's amazing. Yeah, man. I've been working on that a long time. But you were on the forefront of the blogging stuff. What? Oh, my blog was... Why was that important for you? Because basically it was freedom, again. And it... My old blog, if you go back, it's very funny. It's basically just like a post about wine tasting notes from like a night of four or five wines. And then it's a hip hop video from YouTube. <laughs> and I talk about why I love it. And it's what only... Was, what was your mission on that? Like when you say, yo, fuck it, I'm going to buy this domain and I'm going to begin to post every day. What was your mission? Some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my life has been from people that have been giving me advice that sounds like throwaway advice. Mm. This is kind of going to be a weird little nugget of life wisdom. We like weird nuggets of life wisdom on Wild oh. Hip Hop. There's plenty right. of those. <laughs> so a lot of people like to give a lot of advice, and a lot of it is bullshit. Factory. And they think they're just, you know, whatever. But a lot of people also kind of like to give throwaway advice, you know? Mm. And in my life, Throwaway advice is really the advice that has gotten me farther than any of the, like, okay, let me sit you down and tell you all this different stuff, you know? It's kind of kind of an interesting thing. You know, my, my whole career, my stepmom just said on the phone, you know, work in a bookstore. I'm like, no. She's like, <laughs> work in a wine store. You liked uh, wine at Passover. <laughs> you liked wine yes. at Passover. That's exactly what you said. Let's pull up some reasoning while we're doing this, yeah. And... Uh, my partner, basically, this guy who I don't even talk to, was like, you should start a blog. You have so much to say. That's usually the way it is. But anyway, and you know, and he's basically, you should start a blog. You have so much to say. Are there any wine blogs out there? I'm like, yeah, they're all lame. And he's like, there's your opening. <laughs> and then I started blogging a lot. It got me in some trouble. And it was just wine and hip hop. That was my blog. <laughs> it's probably just, you know, that weird picture when a YouTube video is not available anymore. That's probably what the whole blog looks like. <laughs> um, you know, that, that unfortunately, but there were some interesting, you know, comments about it and people really couldn't figure out what I was trying to do or anything. That's you know. so funny because now, <laughs> like, that's kind of just what it is. Isn't, yeah. isn't that crazy? I think it is an unbelievable Have, have you evolution. taken a step back to process that? I haven't. I mean, even in college, I was... You know, as soon as, like, you know, wine was discovered at the end for me, and, you know, I was, like, super into hip-hop at that yeah. point. It was just, like, I had turntables. I had records. Did you I have was, a DJ name? What? Come on. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I really didn't. I okay. was, like, it was basically, 
mixing and you know trying to like you know set off a room and i was also super into like beat juggling and scratching mm. you know it was definitely two different types of things going on and i had you know two different like groups of friends that were into like certain things but i definitely had like and it's really funny the two djs that i hung out from college the most both buy wine for me today <laughs> so you were pairing wine and music before this podcast oh I think it's just the greatest thing. When I would, man, there was nothing like nailing a great mix that no one would ever think mm. of and uh, yes. sending off a room. And I would always, you know, at the you, end, I would Were you big into making mixtapes and shit? Were you a make, make a mixtape oh, yeah. guy? And I had an 8-track, and I would actually make my own, like, everything for a while. I don't have any of that stuff. And <laughs> I'm so annoyed I don't have any of my 8-track stuff. That was definitely at when I was at my most creative. Yo, this know. dude been making mixtapes since oh. the eight track. Yo, so I was one of those guys. I was a make a mixtape type motherfucker, man. We were talking about it earlier. We were playing some uh, some old Kanye. I don't remember what this is gonna maybe like consequence. Yeah, we were playing yeah. some Kanye and Consequence. From like O2. And I was saying, this is from the LimeWire days. Oh my God, yeah. Yo, I used to download so many songs on. I was like, and I wasn't even selling them. I was just passing them shits out for the culture. <laughs> just because, you remember this, T. It was a beautiful T was around. For music. It, it was just such a great time. So, you've been pairing wine and music for a minute. Um, we've we've been drinking some wine here, and everyone that listens to the show know what we do every week. It's wine and hip hop. We pair wine with music. I sit down with people that are passionate about both, and it's a rare occasion when I can sit down with someone that is as fluent in both arts as you are. So I'm truly honored by. I, I'm ex I've been excited about this show for a minute since when great. I since I decided to change the format. I was like, "Yo, fuck the very fast." Few people that I can speak about both with on like the level, you know. Exactly. And <laughs> the thing normal, is, you know, like we've been around the block, you yeah, know, and we've exactly. done this at all these different levels, and it's just true. There's a certain pocket here, so I'm glad that we're able to do this. We pair wine and music. I have a criteria that I look at uh, things by, and it's the same way that uh, you judge tasting notes, which is the um, you know the visuals. So you got the color, smell, palette, and you got the finish. Yep. And we did this show a little bit differently. Usually, I ask my guests to choose a bottle of wine or a song, but in this instance, because we both have this pool of knowledge, we went shot for shot. Oh, yeah. You know, like, all right, you pick a pairing, and I'll pick a pairing, right? Mm -hmm. Not just pick the fucking pairing. I'm going to give you a song, and I want you to pair this song with a bottle of wine. And Lyle chose a song, which I was going to pair a bottle of wine with. The song that Lyle chose was, you know, the song that he mentioned just brought a minute hip-hop, Souls of Mischief. 93 till infinity. I chose Pusha T featuring Jay-Z, Drug Dealers Anonymous. We're going to drink this wine. We're going to listen to both songs, vibe out, and then we are going to come back with some heavy, heavy hip-hop talk. Be ready. And right now, you know, we're just maxing in the studio. We're hailing from East Oakland, California, and um, sometimes it gets a little hectic out there. Right now, you know, we gon' love you on how we just chill. Dollar seven digits, call up Bridget, her man's a midget. Plus, he got friends, yo, I can dig it. Valentine.
Tarantino summers and wave runners. Chains on my niggas like slave runners. Drug dealers anonymous. How many Madonnas can that Mazda fit? My brick talk is more than obvious. It's ominous. Garages, the phantom. Ghouls, ghosts, and goblins. Blonde Mohawk, the collection. I'm Dennis Rodman. The money count is the only moment of silence. Cause hush money balances all this drugs and violence. We've drank some wine we have listened to all of the music and now it's time to talk about the pairings the song that i felt passionately enough about to want to discuss was pushy t featuring jay-z drug dealers anonymous drug dealers anonymous is just lyrically this this points when jay-z blacks out in his career he blacked out maybe six or seven times in his career he blacked out on the grammy family freestyle same shortly night you they gone good night you with that's only half if they like you they ain't even the half what they might do don't believe me ask michael see martin see malcolm you see biggie see pox see success in his outcome see jesus see judas see caesar see brutus see success is like suicide suicide it's a suicide if you succeed prepare to be crucified mm. media medals niggas sue you you settle every step you take they remind you ghetto he blacked out on this life is forever off the black gangster soundtrack in the midst of all your misery nigga stay fly never let them see you frown even smile when you down shit i floss on my off days fuck what they all say niggas can't stop me with rumors i'm too strong all day socks exploding sweatpants pockets is bulging holding it down on the corner of my block posing a squeeze first on a dynasty album see when i'm low on digits i push blow in the blizzard i'm a player for real i post and pivot coke distribute be where the ghosts visit where the demons live shit my scene is vivid squeamish kids y'all get the fuck out of this verse it's about to get so obscene in a minute i've seen and live it i did some things i admit it wasn't proud of it but i was a child fuck it and he blacked out on the young jeezy joint seen it all and he blacked out on this it was like lucid dreaming. He consciously blacked out on this shit. It was also like Pusha T at his best. Pusha T pulled his pants up. He's like one of those if you know, you know rappers. Mm-hmm. Where you have to understand all of the idiosyncrasies that he's talking about to appreciate his metaphors. But on this one, he was just like, you just got to be smart to get it. For a while, I didn't really understand who had the better verse. Like, he I mean, pushes wordplay. Sapphire. That is Easy. what he reminds me of. I mean, this guy. What did he say? He said, um, "My brick talk is more than obvious. It's ominous." I mean, the wordplay is what you appreciate about Pusha T. Like, he doesn't have to go that hard with a punchline because he doesn't waste a word. Just saying the word ominous. And the way that he used it is enough to match your hardest bar from whoever. You pair the wine with this song, which I think is fucking amazing. You're Mr. Riesling. So I did I did hope that I would get a Riesling with this song. So why don't you tell me a little bit about this wine? So I had no wine in mind and I listened to the song. You know, there was no other interruption or anything you know the world we live in there's everything um and i just listen to the song you know when i listen to hip-hop there's two significant things going on there's a beat and there's lyrics and obviously the beat can you know range from 
something you know very simple to something very complex. The beat comes in before the lyrics and immediately sets the stage for whatever is going to happen in the song. Beats can change, beats can flip, obviously, but in general, you know, it's a variation on a significant kind of 4-4 theme. So I hear the beat and it's laid back. And I love, love laid back beats, but it's like laid back and, I don't know, hard at the same time. I love hip-hop beats that are served that way. Hip-hop does that combo better than any music genre. Check it. That's a fact. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of like the beauty of that beat immediately. And then Pusha T's voice, and we were just talking about this during the break, you know, it's kind of sharp, you know, high tone. And that beat, you know, it, it works really interestingly with that beat. It gives it kind of, I would say, a playful yet hard edge to the laid backness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's what I'm thinking about generally, you know, with this song. I'm going to say the Jay-Z section for a little bit. Uh, after I describe the wine, because the Jay-Z thing is kind of where the song uh, goes into high gear. When you open a wine, you are opening something that has been asleep for a very long time. And as soon as you open it, it's not going to be as good as it's going to be later. That's the thing for all fine wines, Yo, hold on, hold on. That was a jewel just dropped, FYI. Let's pick that jewel up. Can you say that one more time? Basically, when you open any wine, it has been sleeping since whatever the date is on the bottle. That's the vintage, 2016, 2015. We're drinking in 2016 now. We're in 2018. So we just woke this wine up from a nap. When you wake up from a nap, you got to do all these things to be presentable. It's the same thing with wine. And great wine really kind of does the same thing as this song in that I love the Pusha T verse and it's great but I'm an early 90s mid 90s late 90s kind of kid when it comes to hip hop so then when Jay comes on you know that's like when the wine has breathed for an hour and it's peaking and you're like whoa this wine's really great and that is what Jay's verse did for me on that song because he comes in and it's just a whole different level you know Pusha I love Federico Fellini in the flesh that's the first thing you're gonna say Chini inside his mesh. And that's when he was just playing. He wasn't even serious then. Yeah, yeah. He was warming yeah. up. He, he he definitely dipped his toe in the pool a few times before he jumped in. Yeah. And he you're right, he was playing with the audience. Bitch, I've been bragging since the eighties. Google me, baby, you crazy. And then he actually starts rapping when fourteen year drug dealing is still counting. That's when he's like, "All right, let's take my jacket off. I'm gonna start rapping now." And he drops it, and you know, and it, it was a verse that kind of, you know, it just made me feel good in general because that was like a perfect verse to me. Give me the name and vintage of this wine. So the name, of the estate is Battenfeld Spanier, mm-hmm. and it's from a place called Hohensulzen, which is really important. And then it's a Riesling Premier. And they only put Premier Crew on the label for 2015. Yeah, I was about to say, that's that's interesting for Riesling. Yeah, the German authorities were not having it so in 2017. Well, just to break this down, yeah. I, always, I always try to drop a couple wine jewels for my peoples. You're talking about a classification system mm-hmm. for Riesling. Yeah. I've usually seen classification systems in like France, and now I'm seeing some in Italy. Um, I didn't know that that was happening in Germany. What is a classification system in wine overall? So in Germany, you basically have two types of white wines, sweet and dry. And the classification system that 
the organization that classifies wine is called a quality pyramid. And the highest stuff is at the top, which is the smallest production. Not the worst stuff. I hate saying that, but like, mm. you know, the lesser stuff is at the bottom and there's more of it. Somebody got to get a bronze medal. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't make exactly. him a bad gymnast. Exactly. They just got the bronze. You know, we need wine to drink when we're not pontificating the universe. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The direction is going now, which is the most important. It's going towards identifying Grand Cru vineyards, just like in Burgundy, and identifying kind of... Well, what is a Grand Cru vineyard? A Grand Cru vineyard is the best of the best. Right. Um, And in Germany and in Burgundy, it's the only thing that's on the label. So in Burgundy, for example, which is more famous, if you see Musigny, that's just a vineyard. There's no village associated with it. Mm -hmm. But the level below is Shamble Musigny. The whole thing with wine is this. And I, I, one thing I really like doing is distilling knowledge because everyone always says about wine, oh, it's so complex, it's so hard, I can't fathom it. You know, The whole thing about wine is this. The smaller you get when it comes to the vineyard and the more specific you get, the higher the quality is. And that is illustrated in every mm. wine region in the entire world. Why do you think that is? Because... People will make the effort to isolate small parcels that are unique and specific and can do amazing things and transform the grapes into a profound expression of wine. You know what I say? I'll put it to you like my moms used to say. You could be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yes. You know, I look at it like this. When you're looking at those small production joints, they spend, when, you, when you're doing so much, you spend so much time, you're not focused on one thing. And when you limit the amount of things that you focus on, you're going to just do better at it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're just going to do a better job when, you, when, when you're a master of one trade and not a master of many. I agree 100%. Like, I love speaking about wine in the most general terms. If you For just sure. think of any producer in the world, they always have, like, a cuvee for the people, you know? And then they have, like, you know, something that, like, is the full expression of what they're trying to do. And almost every estate in the world has that. And I think that is, like, an unbelievable thing. And there could be five or six different levels, whatever. But there's always a bottom level and a top level. There are certain wineries, there can definitely be three of the five can be expressive of their peak end of what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But one and two are very good, but ultimately necessary. Right. You know, and like if you look at it that way, like, you know, every winery is going, I mean, every serious winery that wants to do something great is going to make kind of one of these, you know, cuvées, you know. And, you know, in Burgundy it's different because there's inheritance laws and you can't just go buy the best land and, you know, it's, it's, right. it's a little more complicated than that. You know, in smaller regions, you know, people are isolating parcels that have never been isolated and making unbelievable wine. Do you uh, think that there'll ever be a classification system in the United States? Nah, we're... we're, we're nah. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. Just no. No. Nope. I'm a man of many words. And it's just ending on no. Why do you think that is? Lala's feeling it from the heart now, but he's getting passionate. Y'all gonna have to watch out for this answer. 
You are definitely going to have to watch out for this answer, but I'm just going <laughs> to give it to you like it is. All right? We are not old. And uh, maybe I might leave it there. We yeah. are not old. Europe is old. Mm. There's a word called tradition. Mm. Basically, like, the thing about Europe that is so special, and it's especially in this particular era that we are in, every small village in Europe that I've been to, and I've been to a lot, they have some sort of, like, unbelievable cultural tradition that they can like hang on to that is completely interesting they'll make their own fucking cheese or a special type of vase or whatever there's like so many different things you've been you know exactly what I'm speaking about there is just this thing that generation after generation after generation can kind of hold on to Mm, that's real shit and then you come here to the United States and you think of small towns in the middle of America and that doesn't come to mind at all. Yeah. And there are no real traditions and interesting things in here. And yes, you have a couple things in here and there and whatever. But in general, we don't have that long, interesting kind of passed down generation, generation. Everyone kind of doesn't have the opportunity to yeah. have lineage. Exactly. That is definitely the best way to kind yeah. of put it. So, and as a result, you want to preserve these traditions, you know, like of how to make this cheese. It's got to be made, made the same way or else it's not going to be called Reblichon or right. whatever. And, you know, that it has an EOC, it's legalized. That is just not the American You know what's funny? (laughs) I don't think that I could have asked anyone else that question and got as um, accurate an answer. I think you're 100% right. I say this a lot that, and this is why I I really try to press on everyone. Just travel as much as you can because you just don't even know this stuff. Like, this, this is things that I learned later in life, you know. In my 30s, I learned, I realized how young America truly is. And that was because I went to Europe for the first time in We've my 30s. We've got a 30s. long way to go. We're like yeah. in our Spanish Inquisition phase. It's a fucking young country. Like, <laughs> yeah. can I, can like I just, that's what it comes down to. We're a kid. Aretha Franklin died today. Mm. All right. And R.I.P., like, man. R.I.P., respect. Unbelievable. There's a lot of tributes out there for her. And what you just said, I just got to read this. It's going to take five seconds. Yeah, yeah. I don't care what they say about Aretha. Billy Preston, who died in 2006, once said, she can be hiding out in her house in Detroit for years. She can go decades without taking a plane or flying off to Europe. She can cancel half her gigs and infuriate every producer and promoter in the country. She can sing all kinds of jive-ass songs that are beneath her. She can go into her diva act and turn off the world. But on any given night, when that lady sits down on the piano and gets her body and soul all over some righteous song, she'll scare the shit out of you. And you'll know, you'll swear, that she's still the best fucking singer this fucked up country ever produced. Mm. I think that is a really unbelievable testament. One time for Aretha Franklin. God damn. It's a testament to her, but it's also a testament to this fucked up country that we live in. Yeah. And that is how I'm bringing this whole thing back. We cannot have what Europe has because we're young, we're fucked up. Europe doesn't have an Aretha Franklin. It's a purely American thing. We need to just embrace that shit. Do you know how I feel at all? Like, you know, this goes back to really everything that we were talking about down to, like, earlier we were talking about the old vines and why old vines are good and, you know, because they have to struggle. They struggle to create and because of that struggle they create the best fruit. Yes. Everything is the same. Every single thing is the same. You know, when you think about us as humans, right, when you struggle... 
you learn things. When you fuck up, you learn things out of struggle. If you can make it through the struggle, please believe some of, not all of those old vines are able to no. pop them grapes out. You're if walking you, through vineyards, you yeah, see dead vines everywhere. Exactly. And if you can make it through the struggle, you are going to produce some amazing fruit. Just like life. Every single thing is the same. Isn't that some mm-hmm. wild shit? It's and like amazing. when we talk about America as a country, right? America is a fucking a preteen. America's a 13-year-old. Yep. You know, out there pissing on its nuts. <laughs> we are tipping cows over, getting drunk. We are fucking saying, fuck you, mom. I'm staying out after curfew. <laughs> That's America right now That's in this America moment. Right now, you know. I mean, just you to know. give another current kind of hip hop thing, I'm a big fan of Donald Glover, Childish Gambino. Yeah, he, he really yeah. has nailed with "This Is America." Yeah, this is crazy. And who are you listening to right now? Well, I'm, I'm just a huge. I, I'm going to go off on a little Childish Gambino. Go off, Donald go Glover off. tangent. Because I've been on Childish early from when he was like rapping every single song type shit before because no, of the I internet. Learned. Yeah, Donald Glover community. Yes, that's how I learned about yes. him. You know, it was I was more kind of just like, oh, this is the show has interesting writers, this and that. Mm-hmm. You know, and his character, it took a little time to develop into like how yeah. awesome he was and his relationship with Abed, everything. But uh, seeing. Like the talent in him just then, those little things at the end of the episode when they were rapping like in Spanish, yeah. like. I, I remember I was just like, this guy is a fucking genius. And His talent is scary. Yeah, and he has charisma that is like once in a generation beyond anything. Whenever he feels like it. Yeah, whenever he feels like he it. He taught himself how to sing. It's, he couldn't sing, and now he's like a great singer. It's insane. Dude, Donald Glover is the reason Kanye went MAGA, man. Wow. <laughs> Damn, totally, we dude. took it right there. Boom. Exactly. He's so threatening. The guy is so talented. <laughs> Everything can do his his dancing, his videos. Like, the album, Yo. he never tweets. He's never on social media. He's completely, he is a genius of like talent. the last century. Just talent. It's just pure talent, the essence of talent, and that's exactly what we need right now. And I am so into him, and like it's a breath of fresh air, because as you know, I was down on hip-hop for a really yeah. long time, yeah. and I really, really... Uh, think he is a breath of fresh air you know totally I, I give a lot of um new hip-hop you know i like you know i talk to people i give new hip-hop a little bit of shit and it's just I, i'm not really into the melodies like that i don't do the singing i you know i didn't need i didn't listen to any r&b until fucking 2002 that's a fact t-pain was the first like i have R&B. appreciation only for r&b because of an ex-girlfriend taught me a lot of stuff <laughs> but no honestly yeah. I, I i wasn't into it and you know and that was just because i was, I was the same way no r&b never person. there was like a whole thing exactly. movement of no r&b, no R&B. R&B. yeah like Roots 90s man refrain. that shit yeah, was exactly so you know I, I i didn't get it later on I, I then did but like childish gambino can rap oh like he God. can fucking rap like that's the thing when I forget what the name of the album was before, um, because the internet, but like that guy can rap, man. And yo, he wrote for uh, 30 Rock, yeah, 
he I wrote mean, for Saturday Night Live. I mean, Thirty Rock. Like, really think about how good Thirty Rock was. You remember Werewolf Bar Mitzvah? Oh man, Trey, look up at the sky. It's a full moon on the Sabbath. This is scary. Break it down. I was working late on my half Torah when I heard a knock on my bedroom door. Oh, he my wrote God. that. He wrote Werewolf. He has that Mitzvah. whole. He has such a silliness to him that you know who I think might be able to take him if they really worked and developed their talent. Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg. Dude. Andy Samberg is a problem. That Lonely Island shit. Dick in a box. Dick in the box. But yo, he gets people give him his props for Dick in the Box, but listen to Jizz in My Pants. Oh, Jizz in My Pants is true. Remember the whole remember the remember the color me bad? Yeah. The color me bad shit. The color was, me bad forget shit was about great. it. That was insane. Oh now also, if you um listen to uh what's the name of the song? Are <laughs> I can't say this without laughing. <laughs> Are you there, Ja? It's me, Ross Trent. <laughs> he has this song. He's this guy. Yo, grab, can you grab that Lambrusco also? He's this guy, um, Ross Trent. <laughs> it's basically, you know, he's basically some white dude who got into some reggae shit in college. Rude boy living in the shanty dorms. My roommate, Nick, is an ignorant bald head. Chant down Babylon, me. The beautiful thing about it is, and I say this almost every podcast now, I'm Jamaican, right? And I'm, I'm very, very Jamaican, you know, like the things that he was talking about in this song, you had to know and chill with Jamaicans on a very regular basis to understand the nuances that he was dropping in this shit. And like when you listen to Andy Samberg stuff, he can rap. He's just funny. And he chooses to be more funny than lyrical. But I look at Andy Samberg as someone who has potential to take it to childish Gambino levels. I do. No, he he is incredibly talented. I think that would be an unbe- unbelievable thing. But who's going to nurture that talent? Someone needs to like lead yeah. him. You know that that's the whole thing. Yeah. You know, and he's what is he? You know, Brooklyn Nine Nine. I mean, he's kind of you know every TV actor wants that sitcom gig. Mm-hmm. You know, but whatever. You know, every TV actor also could you know would love to like you know have Kanye's income. I think Glover is going to blow away Kanye in the long run. To be honest, just because. There's there's a warmth about him, right. you know. That Kanye had a warmth back in the day. Yeah. Just when he was now wearing, he's, yeah. I feel like Kanye's at like clout chasing level right now. I don't really. Well, I kind of do know where he's at in a way, but basically the bottom line is like Kanye's fizzling out because he's so famous and he just needs to just be more outrageous and more outrageous. It's like if you mm. were if you were uh, never going to die. You would start doing a lot of crazy shit. Mm. It's the same type of thing. Mm, if the more shit. famous you get, the crazier shit you're gonna do. Yeah, you get pajama rich. And yeah, stop exactly. buying monkeys and shit. That that that's what that's what he's yeah. doing. You know. Nah, I get it. I get it. Like, so, and it's just the 2018 version of it. That yeah, makes sense. The come up is much more important than the end. I yeah. find. I mean, you know, that's Rocky Two is always gonna be better than Rocky Three. Yeah. 
the you come know. up is the key, dude. Yeah. And, you know, right now we are in the middle of, you know, Childish Gambino, Donald yeah. Glover's come up. And Yo, it's that great. guy taught himself how to sing, and it's he's an amazing. amazing singer right now. And, like, the dancing, I mean... So the dancing, the confidence, the charisma, the crazy, whole thing. Everything. Nah, fucking genius pack. You got to watch some of those parodies that This Is America parodies. <laughs> fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. And you, you also got to watch the Ross Trent. <laughs> oh, I, I <laughs> so totally, funny. totally. I, that's a whole uh, other thing. Comedy rap is a very underrated yes. genre. Started by the Fat Boys, I would yes. say. Um, nah, not even. But, yo, real talk, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. You know, Rodney Dangerfield Fox, is like yeah. my comic of Red Fox, forget it. He was, <laughs> oh my God, he is. No, but it was about the records. Yeah. It was not about San Francisco. It was about the fucking records. The records mm. was where it was at. Yeah, Red Fox. Right. Shit. <laughs> so, before you continue, hold on, we gonna get into T T T. You know, one man capital T got some Red Fox shit to my say. Favorite, hold on. My favorite comedic album is "You Have Got to Wash Your Ass" <laughs> by Red Fox. Everybody should take a listen to that. Why? As, because wow. it's like I feel like it's the catalyst for everybody else who came after him. He's you know? right. It's a pretty good instructional pretty manual about washing your ass. Yo, not just that. It, it <laughs> not to do not with just the, that. Not, it's not, it has nothing to do with washing your ass, but the title itself is striking. Yeah, so. yeah. Like Jordan's. What's Jordan's? Um, Jordan Rock, by the way. What was it? What's the name of the tour? Like before I sit my oh, ass down. Shout out to Jordan Rockman. He's just like a naturally funny guy. Like he, he just has a funny demeanor. Like you talk to this dude for two seconds and you're laughing. Yeah, I love. But getting back into our pairings, yeah, I agree with you. I think that you hit it from a very interesting approach. Really quickly, can you break down what your criteria for pairing the Riesling with Drug Dealers Anonymous was? Immediately, you know, I heard the beat. And the beat immediately screamed Riesling, just instantly, because it was laid back, hanging out on a summer day, drinking Riesling. And, th- and that was the beat, but then it came in hard. That means a dry Riesling, all right? Mm. Because that's trucking. Uh, but you know, if you have sugar in your Riesling, it's gonna be easier to go down. And if you have a dry Riesling, it's gonna be more interesting, more distinctive, more raw. When I listened to the song as well, you had a Pusha G verse, and then you had a Jay-Z verse. I love when there's more than one rapper in a song because I like to compare and I thought Jay-Z was much better. I liked Pusha T's verse and it, it worked well, but as I said, I thought that Jay-Z's voice worked better with the specific beat and the beat is what kind of like led me in there, you know, and I'm, I'm exhibiting my biases. I'm a 90s kid. But See, I'm interested because you took the approach of the beat, right? Oh, yeah. And for me, the lyrics on that song stood out so much that like, when he said that shit, I tore the floor up. Yeah, that's for the koi fish. Like, you gotta be on a certain... There are people that even now listening to this podcast don't get that shit. Oh, and you showed me the Vans reference. Like, the know? Vans thing. Like, he had so Which many of those. If you know, you know what But, like, yo, I tore the floor up. When you, like, walking around the fucking... But it sort of had a lot of subtext and a lot of layers. Totally. Which like, is what... A great dry Riesling will have. Mm. Like always. It's not the same wine at one hour, at three hours, at four hours, at five hours, in five years, in six years, in ten years. Always different. I always have the most difficult time describing kind of the characteristics of dry Riesling. You know, and uh, also, my experience with hip-hop 
in order for lyrics to penetrate my consciousness, there needs to be much more repetition than there was uh, for this song. Interesting. Yeah. I you know need what? more than, you know, I would need probably, to be realistic, like three or four months of listening to it, like a Over good decent over. amount. Yeah. You know, you know, because that's how you listen to your jams, man. Yeah. You get them, you, you, you lock them down, and then you just fucking go to town and just listen yeah. and listen and listen. You know, if I go to uh, what songs are my top played songs on iTunes, I definitely could recite probably the whole song you know I mean a week definitely so you know I'm definitely going to go with what I kind of know a little bit more but then again when Jay-Z just came in with Fellini I'll give you my whole I'm not that familiar with Pusha T mm -hmm. but I definitely uh, was paying attention when he had his feud of Drake um, <laughs> he went you could definitely say below the belt, I would say. Yeah. You know, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And that kind of got me interested in him. To be perfectly honest, you know, I'm someone who definitely thinks it's very outside the box. It's all art. It doesn't matter. Just like Seinfeld was just interviewing the New York Times. He said, it's a joke. It's not real. Right. It's a lyrics. It's not real. It doesn't matter. You know, appreciate it as art. Yeah, exactly. So I really appreciated his takedown of Drake as art. So that became became more interested in it um, but if I'm being perfectly honest like I thought the lyrics of, that he were great I just wish if I was producing the song <laughs> <laughs> I think I would do the old premiere trick and flip the beat uh, and start a different beat with um, Pusha T and keep that same mm. beat with Jay-Z I think it's something that could have been done we can still flip it we can uh, still flip it oh that's a great thing acapellas baby can i see that uh lambrusco really yeah, yeah, quick yeah. so i brought a chiarly vecchia modena lambrusco and we paired this with 93 to infinity souls of mischief souls of mischief and um the way that i i do my pairing i try to stick to some certain rules i, I look at it's the same thing that the same way that you would write tasting notes: color, exactly. smell, palette, finish. And what the color represents is the title of the song. The title of the song is "93 Till Infinity." Now I'm pouring this wine right now, and I'm looking at it. It's a beautiful ruby red. It's luscious. This shit makes you want to drink it. It's very clear. It, it kind of feels like it goes on forever. You know, that was one of the first things that I thought. But it wasn't the most significant thing that stood out to me. The uh, the smell, I equate that to the first 30 seconds to one minute of the song. The way that it starts with those horns, no drums on it yet. There's a little talking. It's this light airiness. The, the beat has this light airiness the same way. When you oh, smell this really like the way that you're uh, comparing it. Yeah, on. you know, it's just it's like first 30 seconds it has this light airiness. Stop. You, you swear you smell it. You smell the fruit, light and airy but it's and very fragrant. light and airy. It's also it just reminds me of sunshine. And when I think of souls of mischief, I think of Oakland, I think of California, I think of sunshine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Very bright also. But then you get to the palette. And now we've had this open a little bit, so it's kind of it's, it's thinning out but when we first started drinking this it was a little bit fuller body yeah it had some it had some ass on it you know what i'm saying it had some butt she was kind of thick and it had add some texture to it but also the words right like when you listen to the lyrics it's it's kind of dark it's, i mean they name is fucking souls of mischief again and i could play some cool pusha t shit that has that souls of mischief 
reference in it. Dark Crazy. but playful. There you go. And that is the beauty of Souls of Mischief right there. <laughs> and then, you know, the last thing is the finish. Where do I want to be enjoying this? And as you know, with Lambrusco, it's barbecue wine, man. Like, at a bar, the, the oh, best perfect. place to enjoy this is at a fucking barbecue. And you tell me that you can't smell some burgers cooking on the grill. Oh my God. You yes. having a dope conversation. With your homeboy that you haven't seen all summer, and you kind of flirting with this chick over there, you might, you know, something might happen. There's a Souls of Mischief joint playing in the background. Like, it, it reminds me of that whole far side kind of tribe vibe. But it had, what I love, they all had a particular edge, all those three groups that you just named. Far side had kind of like, I'm the most fucking annoying person in your high school class edge. Um, and Souls of Mischief had that West Coast Oakland edge, man. Right. That, you know, the kind of like, it's, you know, too short from Oakland. It's not too short. But there's definitely, if you listen to some of those lyrics, you know, they say silly bitch, all these different things in there. Yeah. But it's also just like, we're just trying to have fun. Right. Edgy. Right, <laughs> right. It's a perfect match for that song. Yeah. When I listened to the joint, like, I just, I broke it down piece by piece like that. As soon as you said Soldier, I had a feeling that that's where you was going to go. Maybe not that song, but I knew you were going to go that era. Like I said, you, to me, you come off as, like, Lower East Side, Beastie Boys, Early Run DMC, Early LL Cool J, Mad Wild Style. Like, I, you were in fucking Wild Style the movie. You know, you were in B Street. You know, like, to me, that's how you came off. But I'm glad you picked this because when I listened to it, first, the light airiness of the nose. It came to that, like, that just reminded me of Lambrusco. The light airiness of the nose is, like, the perfect thing. Because the context of when I listened to this song for the first time was in college. And it was when it actually came out. And... I was in college, so I was doing a bunch of things that I couldn't do under my parents' roof, and I had this amazing sense of freedom. And I'll just tell you, if I was playing loud hip-hop in my mother's apartment, rest, make sure you rest in peace, that shit would have gone down. <laughs> All right? So it's just... And that song, for me, is just a wonderful sense of freedom. My friend played it for me. You know, he knew them, you know, and it was just such a, it was such a special moment. And it was just like... I. I think i've listened to it a hundred times in three days like mm. the, from the first time i heard it the beat you know is sampled from i had a little bit to drink so i'm not yeah in sample geek mode like i usually am but you know it's definitely uh i have it somewhere you know it's a song that taught me the perfect execution of some sort of 70s funk jazz random record that no one gives a shit about can be turned into something that is like way better yeah you know but then you listen to the original and you're like oh i really like this original now because it's the beat from my favorite song and it reinvents that it's just kind of weird cyclical like thing and i learned that through that song because my friend Devin you know he had the mp3 he had everything you know mm. and uh, I didn't know what any of this stuff was or how hip hop was made or how it was created or anything I had no idea of anything about the music uh, up until that point and that song was the launching pad mm. just like everyone has a wine that is the launching pad 
that was a launching pad for me. Yeah. And, and then I got back, you know, just like you were saying earlier, you know, how you started drinking like all, you know, the crazy blue chip wines, and then you had to like go back. Then I went back and learned about the Big Daddy King, the Marley Mall, mm. you know, and everything that, you know, was going on. And, you know, even earlier, Cold Cross Crew and all the block parties and everything, I really educated myself, you know, because I was like, I like this. And then when I heard 93 until infinity, I'm like, this is fucking art. I need to really yeah, dig I need in. to be in this. Yeah. Before we go, I usually do this first with my wine guests to get them into hip hop mode. But you were already on hip hop <laughs> mode, so I didn't even need to. Like, if we walked in and you put me on hip hop <laughs> mode, but I just think that this would be interesting to to hear if you died and came back as a rapper. Which rapper would that be? Like, who is your rap spirit animal? They could be dead or alive. Doesn't matter. There are really so many different possibilities. You really kind of caught me off guard. I can, by I, the, can uh, I don't want to be... I'm just kind of scared now. I don't want to do anybody that's dead because there's so many great dead rappers and nah, producers. but you know what? Anybody, man. Dead alive, whatever. But there's so many interesting arcs and so many interesting people, you know, and there's so many geniuses if I can identify there are certain rappers that I can identify with that are really not unbelievably popular but have interesting stories I'm sorry that the first thing that comes to my mind is Fat Lip I know it's crazy oh Fat Lip Fat Lip from the far side man mm. I got a good verse on hold on was that T? no I'm saying Fat Lip had a, a dope verse I can't remember the track I think Passing Me By is one yeah. of my favorite he has an amazing verse and then oh can't keep uh, running. Mm, uh, produced by running. Uh, produced by what's his name? Uh, bless his soul. He passed away. I like Fatlip because he, his story is semi tragic in a way of unearthed potential. Yeah. He had an amazing voice when he was with the Far Side and has some of the greatest hooks that everybody knows ever. And then unfortunately, he became addicted to crack, like really bad. And then he became kind of this comic kind of Bismarcky style rapper after What's Up Fat Lip was his album I had I used to spin it all the time but he was the key to the far side and the far side definitely after Souls the far side is something that I really got into uh, Bizarre Ride came out and to experience that album as it came out was like nothing else you can imagine it really crossed over it was probably one of the most hardest albums to cross over the earliest I thought why do you feel like you relate? I feel to like into him in a way because that's kind of a lot of a big chapter in the story of hip hop is you know uh, lights that went out too early mm. and he's still alive but he is a light that went out too early because dude he smoked so much crack you don't understand it changed his whole voice like so like people don't really realize that fucking Molly and Lean and all that shit that was that was crack yeah. And it, it, it has irreversible, <laughs> traumatic, terrible effects on you. And, and Fat Lip people is kind of, became crackheads. Yeah. Yo, man, I Fat Lip is the biggest casualty of that. And his voice changed. He was never the same. I still like the album. He did the best with what he had. His voice changed because he smoked too much crack. Oh yeah, dude, it's very, it's like a legendary story. It's very notable. <laughs> Yo. Yeah. Fatley was definitely on the Bobby Brown level of crack smoking. Damn. There's no question. But like listening to Bizarre Ride and like all of Fatley's verses, you're just like, God, what a rap genius. This guy is unbelievable. And then it all just, you know, and he was 
much less in the second album. And then the crackhead thing happened. Then he reemerged during the kind of most deaf Talib era. I got the album. I played it wherever I spun because he had a couple really goofy songs that were really interesting, really kind of like super slow, you know, like biz style where he almost sounded the R word. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. Well, yo, Lyle, I appreciate you. We could do you. like 10 of these. You know we that, could do right? 100 of them. I mean, we could do just, 100 of them. It's like we scratched the surface. I, have, I don't get to talk about hip-hop. It was such a... And this is why we do this. This is the platform yeah. for this. But thank you for inviting us into your home. Oh, no problem. Drinking with us, chilling with us, you know, showing us the snake collection and shit. Involving out with us, so I greatly appreciate you. Where can our listeners find you? How do it? How do they find you? The best way to find me, my company is Fast Selections. You can go to fastselections.com. Three S's, F A S S, and then the S to start selections. There's another better way to find me. My name is Lyle Fast. If you type that into the Google machine, mm. you will find me and everything that is important to me. Very quickly, because I am actually the only Lyle Fast in the world. Boom. <laughs> he came on dropping jewels, and he left you with one at the end, man. Yo, Lyle Fast, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate you. Wine and hip-hop. Bang! This concludes another moment in Wine and Hip-Hop.